coming today. I'm Josh. I'm the youth pastor and the primary worship leader here. So it's an honor and a privilege to be able to deliver what God has given me today for you guys. So I was going to show the clip of the movie that David elected for me. Um, but unfortunately, he picked all the Disney movies and he, and he gave me 8 Mile. So, so there's only maybe five seconds of that movie that doesn't drop the F-bomb. So I didn't want, didn't want to, to, to have that slip up in church. But the scene that, that I was going to focus on was the opening scene and try and sneak that in without any curse words, but it was not able to happen. So what, what the opening scene is, is, G, is not, not Jesus, not Jesus, <laughs> is B-Rab, all right, B-Rab, he is looking in the mirror and he's getting ready to go out and he's fixing a battle, these opponents of his in a rap battle, all right, and he's getting, he, he's getting, you know, psyched out, he's getting motivated, he's listening, and all of a sudden the, the, the pounding comes on the door and he's just, it's just, uh, reality sets in and he sinks back and goes, uh-oh. And he runs to the toilet and starts throwing up. And he starts throwing up because he's so nervous about going out in front of all of these people and rapping against a, somebody who's already got a good, repu, a, a very high rep, reputation for being an exquisite rapper, all right? Now, that being said, through this movie, he undergoes so many different trials and tribulations. Uh, and, and by the way, he, he choked when he went out on stage. He, uh, he, did not, <laughs> he did not rap at all, not even a little bit, and got booed off stage. And just imagine, two, I mean, he was in front of hundreds of people. Just imagine what that did to his confidence when he was booed off stage. And, and from that point until he give, was given another opportunity to, to go out and battle, he went through an extensive amount of trials and tribulations. There were things he had to face, trials he had to overcome, fears that he had to stand up to that actually ended up giving him the courage to go out and do it again. He went, underwent a transformation, all right? There's a mountain that was in front of him that he was facing outside of this of this walled inlet, there was a deeper thing that was going on. There was, outside of this walled place where they were going to battle, there was a deeper thing going on outside that he had to face, a mountain that actually we sometimes want to say, God, get rid of it. But really, the presence of that mountain is what creates us who we're meant to be for God. This movie has, has absolutely no spiritual aspect to it, <laughs> okay? There is nothing holy and sanctified about this movie, all right? Nothing. So if you have little kids, do not let them watch this with you. Do not. Uh, but let me give you the backdrop so you can kind of understand the, the trials and tribulations he went through. This movie was based in 1995 in Detroit on the street called Eight Mile. Now, seven and eight mile road are extremely ghetto. They are extremely poverty stricken. They have crime rates that are through the roof. So in 1995, there were 24,000 aggravated crimes. 24,000 aggravated crimes in one year. 
That's on the decline from 89, where it was 27,000 aggravated crimes. All right? That gives you the, and, I'm, and when I say aggravated, I'm talking about homicides. I'm talking about rape. I'm talking about murders. I'm talking about breaking and enterings. I'm talking about all of the, anything that has to do with an aggravated crime. There was 24,000 cases of that in one year. So through his, 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 his transition, he experienced almost, uh, I mean, a, quite a bit of, of, of trials that, that resembled that same, no, the, the, that crime. And it's astonishing to see how he overcame that. So this brings us to our scripture today, to one of our scriptures today, and it's Romans 8, 6, and 7. Okay? Romans 8, 6, and 7. This means, if, if, and I'm going off of the New King James Version, and it's, for to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Will y'all say that with me? For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Let's say that again. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. All right? That is, you probably have never heard the term or may have heard the term carnally minded if you've read in the King James or New King James Version. If not, it'll probably be interpreted as um, selfishness or, or fleshliness, but I wanted you to get this because this, it's deeper than just, just the exterior realm. It's deeper than just the, the, the fleshly things that we are attracted to. It's much deeper than that because whenever you look at Romans uh, 8, 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And an enmity against God is the unbeliever's problem is much deeper than the acts of disobedience. It's not just the act of being disobedient to God. It's much deeper than that. So when you get into this, into this environment of 8 Mile, into, into Detroit, 1995, the carnal mind there said is this, a rap battle consisted of tearing somebody down, breaking them down to as belittle them as much as possible. And in the carnal mindset, it's fun. <laughs> they want to. And they, it's, that's the objective is to make that person look as terrible as possible in front of hundreds of people and the judges are the crowd. Keep that imagery in your head. The judges are the crowd. Whoever screams the loudest gets for that, that rapper or that, or that rapper wins, you know. And... That just, just goes to show that the carnal aspect of this is much deeper than just the, the pure disobedient factor. It's, it's a, a lifestyle in which they've adapted to, and they don't feel like there's any other way to come to know anything good except for, for what B-Rab did is, is, is he was able to rap, and that was his only, that was his only light. That's the only thing that he, could, he really fought for, for to, to not embody all of the evil that he was encountering. All right, so with this carnal mind, we live in, in a three-dimensional state, all right? We live in three dimensions, the body, the mind, and the spirit, okay? Your body has all of these senses, all right? Your body has all of these senses that are taking in information. You're hearing me talk. You're smelling somebody's perfume, whether you like it or not. And, 
you're, you're, you're seeing all of these people around you. You're tasting the, you know, and smelling the atmosphere of, of everything around you, and it's feeding into your mind, and your mind is like the trunk of the car. You know, we, we put a lot of things in our trunk, and it's, it gets so stored up sometimes we forget to, to empty that trunk, and then that ends up affecting, you know, your, your livelihood in some aspect. You know, my wife is OCD, and she really, whoo, it would really affect her livelihood. And mine as well. Happy wife, happy life, right? So, so when, when your mind gets cluttered, what, what I, I admire and what B-Rab does here is, as you see through the movie, he's writing down all of this stuff. He's unloading his mind. He's unloading all of this thing. So he could be one of the statistics of that 24,000. But instead he's channeling that into another place. Because he knows his surroundings. He knows how evil it is. He's seen it. He's living in it. He's trying to overcome that in a way that's not necessarily sanctified and holy, but in a way that he can get out and, and express all of this anger, all this hatred, and this bitterness, all right? So this is, this is why it's important. If, if you know about what happened in the synagogue, if you know about all of these threats, whenever you receive all of this information from all of your senses and these people don't have a way to interpret it through the lens of of a God who's full of love, all they do is they, they take all of this information in, whatever it is that they're being fed, and, and they, they harbor in it, and they fester in it, and they don't let it out. They don't seek counsel. They don't seek anything good about it, and they eventually become another statistic to the carnal atmosphere. So let's, let me, let me kind of unpack for you me. I admired Eminem to a full extent when I was growing up. I loved his music. When I was growing up, when I was 13 years old, I memorized, memorized every word to every song on the Marshall Mathers LP. Every one of them. Now I can't, I don't know any, any word on it. And, um, but I was... I was so invested, I was so invested in, in, into that, that lifestyle that it corrupted me. I loved it. It corrupted me so much as I got older that by the time I was 17, 16, 17 years old, I had an older friend who came to me one day and said, you know what, we need to make a name for ourselves. We should, we should probably, let's, uh, let's, let's go and jump people just for the sake of it. Let's go beat people up for the sake so we can make a name for ourselves. Thank God we did not do that. <laughs> but we thought about it, and that could have very well happened. And same person, years later, came up to me and offered me uh, to make $1,000 a weekend going to his house and selling crack and being the doorman for him and to sell crack for him at his, at his apartment and said, I'll pay you 1000 bucks a weekend, 19 years old. And I was like, shoot, that's a lot of money. Thought about it. Thank God I didn't do it. <laughs> but being submerged in a carnal mind is much deeper. It's much deeper. It's much deeper than just being disobedient. You've accepted the lifestyle that is around you, the fleshly things that you're intaking from the world and what it's projecting on you. You're soaking it in and you're accepting it. And you're becoming what it is as opposed to having something to filter it through. Having something to filter it through. So let's, let's, 
let's move on to what, what it means to be spiritually minded. Because you've heard people say, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. You know, I'm spiritual. And <laughs> um, that's not the type of spirituality I'm talking about, all right? I'm spiritual. No, 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 no. What I'm talking about is that, that there, are, there, are different, there are different levels of spirituality, okay? When you come to know Christ, there are different levels of spirituality. You are redeemed. You find that need for forgiveness, that you realize your old life is not the life that is good. A life without God is barren, spiritually dead. Then you, you get to the redemptive aspect of it, of, of needing to be forgiven. You realize you need to be forgiven. And then there's something that, that changes inside of you. And, and it's, it goes from, from, I love doing all these sinful acts to, man, look where it got me, though. I almost went to prison, almost died. I really was a bad person. To Jesus Christ saying, you're forgiven. Whew. I'm sorry. And then being created righteous. And through this, this is, this is a chronological process that takes place. There was a atheist journalist who was writing about a country in Africa who said, I surprised myself <laughs> writing this from myself about what's going on with the Christian missionaries in Africa. He said, the re and, and let, me, let me backdrop this, the reason why you just can't go and preach goodness and moral ethics to people because try telling that to somebody who's slaughtering a bunch of people. The only thing, the only thing that this journalist said that seems to have worked from keeping people from slaughtering one another is the redemptive properties of Christianity. The redeeming aspect of it is the only thing that has seemed to work to make people stop slaughtering one another. And it's chronological. Until you realize that you need to be forgiven, you have no idea that you need to be forgiven. And then once you're forgiven, walking in obedience and being created righteous. After you've been created righteous and you've been made into something new and something good, then you can worship God with the fullness of who you are and who he is because you've witnessed this inside of you, this transformation. Going from a sinner to somebody being made righteous, and spiritually dead to somebody being made righteous and being sanctified and worshiping him with all that you are. Not just skin deep, but with all that you are. That's why I encourage you guys on a weekly basis to, to, to if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're walking with Christ in a shallow demeanor, deepen it. Deepen it. We all do here. We, we encourage you to read your Bible. Get to know God. And that's the difference between being spiritually weak and being spiritually strong is that whenever you go to read your Bible, is it boring? Whenever you go to pray, is it just a waste of time? Whenever you sit and listen to the response of God, do you get impatient because he's not answering it on your time? That's because you're not, you're not working out your spiritual muscles and conditioning them to the point 
or it's going to be beneficial to you. So growing from being redeemed and beyond is extremely crucial with your spiritual growth as well. And practicing good, holy habits is one of the main things that's going to get you to a point to where you're like, yes, I'm not who I used to be. That song, I'm Redeemed, I could hardly sing through that one, and then I really couldn't sing through when Ashton was singing because I, 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 I was so submerged in that lifestyle, and, and where God has brought me is completely black. I mean, it's, it's black and white. It's completely different, completely opposite, complete 360 from who I used to be. Completely opposite. And, and, and there, there is moments, though. Like, I, I know some drug dealers that, that are extremely morally good. That they, they will, you could literally, I could literally leave my kid with, with this person. I would trust this person. He wouldn't touch my, my wife, wouldn't do anything in that aspect. But he was still struggling with the spiritual side of things. And I know religious people, not relational, religious people that are just evil. Wouldn't, wouldn't, if you were on fire, they wouldn't throw a bucket of water on you to put you out. Hunt you down and kill you like a dog and dare you to breathe. <laughs> and you can, you can come to church, you can worship, you can do all of these things and go home and still be secretly miserable. Because you're not, you're, you're not being... You're not applying and, and, and stretching yourself and working these spiritual muscles and to the point to where you're growing in Christ and in love. And that brings us to, to our next scripture, which is John 4, which is the, the Samaritan woman. When Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well, this is the most awkward conversation I've ever heard. She's talking about water, Brahman to draw water. Jesus says, hey, I'm thirsty. Will you give me some water? And she's like, well, I'm a Samaritan woman. You can't be asking me for water because, you know, I'm a Samaritan woman. We, Jews and Samaritans, we can't talk. And he said, well, if you would ask me for water, I would have given you living water. And she's like, what is this water? I want, I want some of this water. And they talk about water for a whole minute, and nobody takes a drink. <laughs> Not one person takes a drink of water. <laughs> it's absolute awkward conversation. <laughs> And, and through this, Jesus reveals something about her. She's like, I'm, I'm thirsty. And he said, I'm paraphrasing this. This is, this is what I say, it's not the Lord. But she says, I'm thirsty. And he says, I know you are. Go and tell your husband that I'm here. She said, I have no husband. He's like, yeah, you're right, you've had five. What does it tell you about her? That she is thirsty for righteousness. She's thirsty for, for acceptance. She's thirsty and she's putting all of her, her eggs in the wrong baskets. She's putting all of her faith and all of her hope in the wrong things. Went through five husbands. It's not working. Something is not working and Jesus tells her this. It, it, comes, it becomes a, from a moral thing to a religious thing. He says yes. And what's even astonishing when I was reading this is that she and the Samaritans were waiting on the Messiah. She knew that there was a Messiah to come. But before she, 
he reveals himself to her. He says, you Samaritans, y'all worship what you don't know. But us Jews, we worship what we do know. Worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is of the Lord and of the Jews. Therefore, what is it that you may be worshiping that you have no idea why you're doing it? Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's shopping. Maybe it's sex. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe you've never smoked or drank anything in your entire life, but you can't help but gossip about people. What is it that's keeping your carnal state from growing your spiritual body? Because what we, what we let in, what we let 